Touchdown, Arkansas State! Culver is safe! The Red Wolves have walked it off! Amir, coast to coast! Lays it home with the right hand, and he's fouled! Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And we welcome you in to the Second to None Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank, coming off a A-State football victory. Hey! How about that? How about it? The Red Wolves ending the losing streak over the weekend at ULM. And they extend the win streak over the Warhawks to 12 in a row. It's been since 2009 since ULM has defeated the Red Wolves. A-State able to keep it going over the weekend with the 27-24 victory at Malone Stadium in Monroe. And I guess we should have known it was going to be a good day. Early on, we get to the stadium, as we always do. Brad goes down onto the field. We're yep. testing his sideline mic. Yes. And you're walking up and down the A-State sideline, and you just happen to come upon something. Yeah, so what people may know is, you know, when we're doing this mic test, it's usually about three hours before kickoff, right about. Right. And it'll walk the length of the field because realistically you're going to spend all your time close to one end or the other very very seldom ever in the middle so you got to check it you walk the length of the field check both ends kind of get over to the area where you think you're gonna do your halftime and post-game interviews i mean these are the spots you got to make sure you got a good signal so I'm going up and down the sideline and there's no band or anybody to, to talk to down there i'm all by myself you're a little disappointed that they weren't down yeah, there. The, that's part of the... The Golden Girls or somebody. That's part of the thrill of doing the mic check on the road. Yeah. They got like an award-winning dance team. It would have been okay if they were down there. They weren't either. Nobody was there. And so I'm, I'm walking up and down, you know, talking with you, and I just uh, said, whoa, stop, hang on. And I look down, at, and there's this little gap between the sidelines and the yard lines. There's a little patch of green. They don't connect. They don't touch. And at the 44-yard line, Right on that green patch between the sideline and the 44-yard line, there's a penny sitting on the turf. Heads up. And you took a picture and posted it on social media. Yep. Got it in my hand right now. That's it right there. <laughs> so you held on to it, and what's the plan from here? I don't know. I'll just kind of, if I don't leave it like stuck in my wallet or somewhere, I'll forget. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it to Atlanta Saturday, see if we've, See if we used it up or not. But I've never seen it, – it's just weird because I've never – I mean, I've never seen – you seldom see anything on the turf like that. And I've never seen money laying on the field. So to right there on the field, when you're in an eight-game losing streak, you find a penny heads up. I told you right then. I was on the mic with you guys. I, said, I stopped in my tracks. I said, boys, call your bookies. <laughs> well, we should have because A-State came out with the win. And that wasn't the only thing that – we didn't expect to see at Malone Stadium the other day because when I did my pregame meeting with Coach Jones on Thursday, he told me what he always does. He goes through, you know, who's starting, what position changes we might be seeing, the injury situation. And he said, Alan Lamar is out. Mm -hmm. He said on Thursday we had to – 
send him to the hospital because he had a cyst on his throat. He said, we think he's going to be okay eventually, but he won't be making the trip to Monroe. My first indication of that had been Allen was going to be my player pregame interview for the pregame show, for the tailgate show last week. We were going to do it on Thursday. And word I got, first word I got was, hey, we got to pick somebody else because Allen's sick. And then that was early in the morning Thursday. By the time you got to Coach Jones Thursday afternoon, he talked about this cyst on his throat. And by Friday, he's in the hospital. It was a scary deal. And you're right. He he was in the hospital Thursday and Friday. They drained the cyst. Saturday morning, Alan Lamar was released from the hospital. We kicked in Monroe at 4 o'clock. And we found out at halftime, you asked the question to Butch Jones, what happened with Alan Lamar? And he said that his mother drove him the four and a half hours down to Monroe yep. so he could play. He got cleared Saturday morning by the doctor. And showed up in Monroe for the game. So here's me on the opening kickoff. ULM is kicking off. I see what I think is number 21 standing <laughs> at the goal line. We didn't know anything about this. And, of course, we take a lot of pride in being extremely prepared for everything we're going to see on the field. I was scared to death to say his name because I was told there's no way he's going to be in Monroe. So I kind of held off on the kickoff return. A-State returns it across the 10, 15, 20, and the, the tackle was made. And I knew it was number 21, but I think you and I both were looking for, is there another yep. name on the back? But it was Alan Lamar returning the opening kick. And Butch Jones said on the TV show, Sunday that's a story he's going to tell the rest of his career it's just an amazing testament to the commitment of this young man to his team and doing whatever it took to be there yeah I was exact same way I was standing on the goal line and I'd look at the kickoff return and you know was he kind of because he nearly busted it really need to break one more tackle and it may have gone the distance and I see 21 and I'm the same thing I was like huh well it says 21 but and so I'm trying to look at the nameplate and if I if, you know, finally get a glimpse of it and it says Lamar and like, okay, I didn't see that coming. And I guess some of the guys, maybe even some of the media guys had heard pregame and gotten word that that was going on. Yeah, I you think Luke I, Matheson but, had sent but, something out. You and I, you know, had we not. Know. No, we had not because, of, you know, our, our schedules we'll talk about later. So, yeah, it was quite a pleasant surprise to start the day. A-State had the football first, an interception on the opening drive, and we talked about how it was kind of a surprise that ULM opted to to go kind of into the sun, but it ended up kind of backfiring on the yeah. Red Wolves. And I guess, it, and, and really, when I first said it's pick your poison, I was just thinking about, are you going to run your whole operation into the sun, kind of going the way they chose to go? Well, the opposite of that is if you, even if you if you don't run your offense that way, then the team going the other direction is going to have their receivers turn around and look right into the sun. And that's what happened. On that first interception, T. Hunt basically had the football hit his hands and he didn't see it. He immediately signaled to the sideline, I, I didn't see that ball. And it goes you know, off of him and gets picked off. And fortunately, the sun wasn't a factor long with that four o'clock kick and the time change has already kicked in. But it, it was rough there for about a quarter or so. 
So the interception on the opening drive, that was one of two interceptions in the first quarter, but the Red Wolves did score first in the game on a nine-yard touchdown run by Corey Rucker. Hunt and Rucker split out to the right. Twins on the left. Perry in the backfield with the quarterback laying Hatcher. They hand it off to the motion man, running left inside the five, near the goal line. Did Corey Rucker get in? He did. Touchdown, Touchdown, Corey Rucker. And the Red Wolves strike first. And that's something that we've heard a lot about from Butch Jones running those jet sweeps and trying to get those receivers on the edge and certainly worked out there with Corey. Well, the other thing about that play is that on that play, which turned out to be the scoring play, Arkansas stated – you know, quietly, I guess somewhat as quietly as you can do it, it slipped Wyatt Beagle in at quarterback. So yeah. on, the, on the Corey Rucker scoring play, which really went more, I guess, went down as a handoff because they really didn't have that flip in it. If it would have had the flip and a true jet sweep, it would have been Wyatt Beagle's first career touchdown pass. <laughs> but it went, went down as a run. You remember back in that 12 season, and J.D. McKissick had a phenomenal year. He had a school record 103 catches as a redshirt freshman. But I w- would guess, I'd like to go back sometime and just find out how many of those 103 catches were on jet sweeps where they pitched it forward to him. I'd say about 30 of them, at least. That was a very popular play in Coach Malzahn's book. But you're right, it was more of a true handoff here to Corey Rucker. Missed so, opportunity by the freshman. <laughs> so it's 7 nothing at that point. We did see Denzel Blackwell get his first career interception a little bit later on. But the, the story really was the A-State defense. And they pitched a shutout the first 29 minutes of that game. Really, they did it with pressure six sacks on the day 14 tackles for a loss yeah they were really good i want to go back to the blackwell pick we talked about it in the broadcast you know they caught a touchdown on denzel that was called back for offensive pass interference because he was basically was pushed to the ground turned around on the very next snap and went at him again and he got the pick very next play after the offensive pass interference. And and two, uh, it's interesting, and I think this may have been the stretch where he's in there. You know, Sammy Johnson had came out at one time for a, a, a brief moment, and I found out later why. It was a stretch. Chandler Rogers is at quarterback for ULM, and he got on a – he had a lot of running room one time where he pulled it down and had a bunch of room in the middle of the field. And he broke off a pretty good run, and then for whatever reason – decided to slide which was a weird kind of time and place to see a quarterback slide we did sammy got cleated really yeah that was the that was like playing shortstop and turning a double play or something that was what had happened to me got cleated on that slide we saw both ulm quarterbacks in this game and that was another one of the storylines Chandler Rogers was out there, but it ended up being Rhett Rodriguez getting most of the snaps, especially in the second Mm -hmm. half at quarterback for ULM. And of course, he's the son of Rich Rodriguez and had missed the last six weeks after having a punctured lung in the Troy game all the way back in week three. So he was back. You know, it's 10 nothing Red Wolves late in the half. ULM with 33 seconds remaining in the half scores they make it 10-7 at the intermission ULM gets the ball first in the second half they score on the first play from scrimmage on a 75 yard run then they later go up 21 to 10 but 
I didn't sense a whole lot of panic from the Red Wolves. And at the time, you're wondering, is there not a whole lot of panic because this team is that calm about it or because they've just relegated themselves to here we go again? Come to find out they were just calm about it because I don't know how often it doesn't seem like uh, you, you see that many games where both teams have and lose double-digit leads. But that happened Saturday night, and, and ULM got theirs in a hurry. I mean, it went from – 10 nothing to 21-10 and not a lot of time if you kind of bridge the first half to the second half. So for this team to go through what it's been through, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and just say, all right, you're done. It was a pretty cool response. A-State starts coming back from that 21-10 to deficit, and it was one heck of a play to get the first touchdown pass of the day for Lane Hatcher. The protection was there at first, then finally he kind of rolled out and threw it all the way across the field, across his body, and found Tavalence Hunt. Playing in the backfield with quarterback Lane Hatcher. Hatcher with time, dances around, keeps his feet moving, now rolls right. Lane looking for something to open up, throws it across the field. This ball is caught by Tavalence Hunt. Touchdown, Arkansas State, and what a play by Lane Hatcher finding Hunt as he threw it across the field for the score. Makes it 21-17, and Philip Butterfield, right after the play, I, I loved his comment. He said, if you ever go to a quarterback camp, that is exactly what they teach you not to do, yep. throwing it across your body like that. And Coach Jones actually brought it up during one of the breaks uh, at the TV show, he said, Lane came to the sideline right after and said, Coach, I promise I'll never throw across my body ag- really? again. And Coach Jones, he said, look, we scored on it. Don't worry <laughs> about it. I know you're not going to make that throw, but he said, don't worry, we scored. So Lane was more worried about it than Coach Jones was. ULM then kicks a field goal to go up 24-17 after three the A-State offense, a little bit later on, ties it up. Lane Hatcher once again finding Tavalence Hunt from 20 yards out. At the eight-minute mark here in the fourth quarter. Hatcher going deep right side. This ball is caught. Touchdown to Valence Hunt. And the Red Wolves are an extra point away. From tying this football game with 7.56 remaining in the fourth. So that's with 7.56 to go in the game. The defense then steps up once again. Back-to-back three and outs, the Red Wolves' defense forces. And then finally, the Red Wolves uh, get it back again. A little bit under four minutes to go and and a good drive. Corey Rucker, a 21-yard catch. Dahu Green had a huge catch over the middle. 19 yards on third and four got him uh, within field goal range. So it's tied at 24, less than two minutes to go, field goal range for Blake Groupie. And before we get into the play, mm-hmm. this was a moment that had quite a buildup. <laughs> yeah. And I go back to Wednesday night, live with the Red Wolves. We're at Lost Pizza. Blake Groupie was special guest. He was our player guest. Before Blake went on the air, Butch Jones had some very prophetic comments 
about his place kick. He's going to kick some uh, winning kicks for us next year, and who knows? We still have three games to go yeah, this maybe year. Maybe this as week. Well. Who knows? But so, you know what? I'll tell you this. If we do have a game-winning kick, there isn't anybody I want more kicking than Blake Groupie. Now you better make the kick. <laughs> so that was said on Wednesday night. Then, after the third quarter, you actually had a conversation with Blake Groupie at that point. In all on the side fairness line. and honesty, I didn't know about the Butch Jones comments on Live with the Red Wolves when this happened. So... It really is completely random. The fourth quarter's about to start. Arkansas State's down seven and going to punt on the first play of the fourth quarter. And I'm down on the end of the field where the kind of the specialists usually hang out. So it turns out, you know, it's not like I talk to players a ton during the game, but if you're going to, it's most likely going to be one of those guys because they're kind of on an end to themselves. And, and over the years, you know, talked a lot with groupie. And so I just uh, got hit with the urge to ask him. I said, hey, you got a game winner in you tonight? And his answer? I'd love to. Well, there we go. I mean, we've got all of that, which leads up to this moment. Game tied, 24 apiece, less than a minute and a half to go. And Blake Groupie gets his turn from 42 yards out. 42 and a half yards here for Blake Groupie. From the right hash, Jack Bullard to snap, Ryan Hansen to hold. A-State trying to take the lead back. The kick is up. It is good. Blake Groupie from 42 yards out puts the Red Wolves back on top. With a minute 17 to go, it's 27-24 Red Wolves. So Groupie makes the kick. ULM still has a minute 17 to go. They start to drive. They get inside A-State territory. But as they're driving, the A-State defense came up big one more time. Second and 10 for ULM from the A-State 44. 28 seconds to go. A-State leading at 27-24. Rodriguez going deep left side. This ball is intercepted by Sammy Johnson. And the Red Wolves are going to win this game on the pick by Sammy Johnson with 20 seconds to go. And it was really cool to see Sammy Johnson make that play because we all know what happened about a month ago in that Coastal Carolina game where he was down for a good 10 minutes. I know Centennial Bank Stadium, everybody in there, including us, we were – scared to death as far as what the injury might be he did miss a couple of weeks but able to come back and for him to seal the deal the other night kind of made it that much more sweet and this kid especially when stuff's going well this kid's got the biggest smile you could see down there so i mean he'd seen that even early in the game the only reason i say that because i noticed it early in the game when the defense was playing so well and they were on the sideline he just Sammy Johnson has his big smile on his face. So, yeah, he made a heck of a play down there. And then it's a wrap after that. You know that's the ball game. And I said this with Coach Jones. I mean, sure, you probably ideally in a perfect world, if you're laying out the strategy, you do enough on offense to where if you're going to be in field goal range, you've got to you milk it down where the last play of the game is groupie kicking. And I know technically the last play of the game is taking one snap in victory formation. 
But for this game and the way it unfolded, there's a certain amount of poetic justice or karma, if you will, that it really gets sealed by the defense making one more play. Yeah, they were outstanding and the defense able to come through one more time. And my favorite thing about that game was just seeing the emotion afterwards and Look, I mean, you get spoiled with nine straight winning seasons and all the success, the five conference championships that we've seen this program have, but it's it's a different point of the program right now. We're in a rebuilding phase, and after eight straight losses, all the emotion that has kind of been stored up over the last couple of months to see those guys celebrate – I know it was emotional for them, but you're interviewing Coach Jones after the game. It, it was emotional for him, too. Oh, yeah, because he walked down there to me, and you could see, you know, he had red eyes and you know, emotion in him. Rob Harley on the field when he was putting his headset up, you could see it in his eyes. He was emotional. The players come and go over this last decade. But for the ones of us who've been here through the whole thing, broadcasters, fans, and those sort, you absolutely take winning for granted which is hard to believe for anybody who was an arkansas state fan from 1992 to 2011 but believe it or not that's how it's people that's how quickly we get spoiled you take winning for granted and so maybe we all the rest of us needed to go through an eight game losing streak too to remind you you know what it's a big deal to put in the work go down and, and get paid off with a win they continue to play hard, and great to see them come through with the 27-24 victory at ULM. Much more to come here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. So get more control, more convenience, and more peace of mind with your Simmons Bank debit and credit cards. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Well, November, a crazy time because there's so much going on, and that includes us with our broadcast schedules. And usually after a road trip, you and I kind of talk about our adventures mm-hmm. together, whatever we do, whether it be going out and eating the local fair or playing top golf at some different location. But in this case, we were actually split up on Friday night. You took a little detour, you and Jerry Scott did, on your way to Monroe. Yeah. First of all, it's worth noting that the team stayed in Ruston, which is unusual. That's for, never happened before, at least while we've yeah. been doing this. Uh, but And I really never heard why, but it actually worked out to my advantage, so I'm okay with it. Because I needed to go for our company, for East Arkansas Broadcasters, to Magnolia, where Valley View was playing in uh, the first round of the 5A football playoffs. And uh, because, you know, EAB this year, we've – We've got the the audio and the streaming rights for Jonesboro, Nettleton, Brooklyn, and Valley View. So didn't have anybody else that could get to Magnolia and run the video stream of that Valley View game and make sure it was on YouTube. And so that's what we did. We went to Monroe by way of Ruston, by way of Magnolia for that uh, Blazer game on Friday night. Then drove the – it's about 75 miles from – Magnolia to Ruston, 
uh got there in time to just get a night's sleep and get up and go the last 30 minutes over to monroe definitely not the typical route to monroe my route to monroe started on friday morning going through norman oklahoma through champaign illinois and then eventually to monroe louisiana and thanks to chancellor Danfus for helping make this possible because you know with the travel schedule and the men's basketball game at illinois on friday the, the only way i was going to be able to call both the basketball game friday night at illinois and the football game saturday in monroe was to have some sort of flight to get me there and back and and that's what happened the chancellor wanted to go see our women play at ou on friday and it worked out because they tipped at 10.30, so we left Friday morning. We flew over and watched the women's team play, and, and by the way, played well yep. at Oklahoma, scored 89 points and a losing effort, but they uh, they kept it within 12 against a, a good Oklahoma team. Then had lunch at a place called The Garage. They're in downtown Norman. Uh, had a really good jalapeno bacon cheeseburger apparently this is one of the spots to go to there okay. in norman flew to champagne got there about four thirty, and then the game tipped at eight o'clock so called the game at illinois got up saturday morning and then flew down to monroe and you and jerry scott picked me up at the monroe airport at eleven forty-five. so a full weekend so back on schedule yeah right back on schedule we get to the stadium at noon we get set up and uh, everything went smooth on saturday we will have another unique travel schedule coming up this weekend and and we'll talk about that next week on the podcast but part of what we have going on this weekend is you know a really unique night friday at first national bank arena the women's team hosting the university of arkansas that is correct you heard it right and you've known it for a while that uh, this game is coming. And let's be honest about it. Even though this is second to none, the A-State podcast presented by Simmons Bank, this doesn't happen without the people on the Arkansas end wanting it to happen. Whether I'm right or wrong in my belief on this, I, I think Dave Van Horn is a central figure in getting us where we are here in terms of seeing competition between Arkansas and the other in-state schools. He would publicly sort of bemoan the fact that there were four other Division One programs in his state he couldn't play midweeks against and the length they had to go to try to find yep. midweek games. He didn't hide that. When you've got a coach of that stature out front, you know, publicly sort of advocating it, you know, he, you know, there's a story about him calling Keith Kessinger saying, hey, how come we don't have a series when he got the <laughs> Arkansas job? Then you cycle through another guy at the top in Hunter Juracek. If people come to the University of Arkansas who aren't University of Arkansas people, they don't get it. Like, right? They don't, they get told what the policy was, but they don't understand it. Yeah. There's like, well, okay. Well, Hunter Juracek finally, you know, cycles through and, and is willing to change that. And another coach over there who was, uh, I would say, out front in getting things where they are is Mike Neighbors, their women's basketball coach. He's from the state of Arkansas and said from the get-go he wanted to play everybody. Not only are they playing Arkansas State, 
and this game's not going anywhere. It's signed for you know two, four years, whatever it is. I think maybe four to start. Yes, we'll play Arkansas State, and we'll go to Jonesboro first to start the series. Now, part of that was that you know pre-COVID, when all this gets hammered out, is that you started mapping out this was the way to get Alana Eaton, Marquise's little sister and Nettleton graduate, initially was going to be the way to get her two games in Jonesboro in her career. Now, COVID happens, and she ends up, this is, she's still listed as a freshman. But anyway, that's a lot of talk to say, yes, we're here at a spot where we thought only the postseason would dictate us getting here. But uh, you, you do have to give credit to the folks over there at the University of Arkansas who you know, said, you know, it, it's time to change our ways a little bit. So the game is happening, and this isn't the first time that A-State has hosted Arkansas in women's basketball. It's a game that has been talked about many times since it happened back in 2005, the WNIT game. And it was posted on social media over the weekend. I know Chancellor Danfuss was uh, posting a, a video that was recently made that documented the WNIT game with Arkansas and A-State won that game, 98-84. You called that game. And I know you were a big part of this documentary as well. And I'm sure that brought up a lot of fun memories for you. Oh, it absolutely did. It goes back to, I had to go back. Look, I was approached right at the end of July about, you know, sitting down for an interview, some of the folks on campus, you know, about that game. So, you know, I did it then. And, and I wasn't really, I don't know that I knew for sure that they were targeting it this close to the game. Makes sense. As as Dr. Danfus put in his social media post, he sort of had asked for a, a 30 for 30 style documentary on uh, that game. And so it's sort of what it turned out. And so, I, you know, find it uh, on Dr. Danfus, his social media outlets, where you can find it's on YouTube. Cool little video. I think 25 minutes, something like that. Fun trip down memory lane for one of the most fun experiences of my career. Why I enjoyed talking about it so much. That whole thing, like the game is one little, little part of it. It's a 72. To talk about that, you have to talk about it in a, about a 96-hour window. Going all the way back, and probably a little bit more than that, but really you started Thursday night of that year in 2015, March of 2015, when A-State plays Mississippi State in the first round. And kind of the chain of events that happens after that, not knowing until Friday night about 9 that Arkansas's coming to Jonesboro Monday night and waking up as an athletic department Saturday morning and needing to pull this thing off by Monday. It's as fun a like I said, 72, 96 hours as I had in my career. And so, yeah, it was fun to sit down and talk about it. The ticket sales were incredible. You end up packing in a record crowd into what was then known as the Convocation Center. But ten thousand eight ninety two. I've heard from, I've heard from you many times and from others just about that ticket line Saturday morning when yeah. ticket sales started for the game. We showed up as a staff to meet and start talking about how to pull this off. You know, at about we'll say eight o'clock Saturday morning. Tickets are going to go on, on sale at nine. And when we got there at 8, there were two or three people. And Big D's one of them. Delane Landrum was one of them who was sitting there at the window at the door waiting for tickets. And we all said, man, that's that's kind of cool, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's like Garth Brooks is coming back to town. We got three people <laughs> sitting out there waiting to buy tickets. And we sit down and we're meeting how to pull this off. And we'd take a break right about, the, you know, just at 9 or after and go back outside. And that line is 
almost to the Fowler Center of people waiting wow. to get tickets. And for the first couple, two or three hours, it never got any shorter. You know, I told Dr. Dean Lee at the time, he came to me the week before that with that WNIT bracket that I and said, because I don't even know if I'd seen a bracket. And he came out and sat down and said, if we got Arkansas in here in the second round, how many people would we have? And I said, oh, man, a bunch. Five or 6,000. A lot. And uh, then turns out, you know, they sold 5,000 tickets on Saturday, not counting any students. They even opened the ticket office Sunday afternoon. I remember playing, I think, a home baseball weekend, and I was calling that or at that Sunday game and looking out the window at the time and seeing the line out there again on Sunday, people coming buying tickets. To where by Monday at lunchtime, Kenny Brewer and his staff in the ticket office said, hey, we're done. We can't, there's nothing else we can sell. It used to be those seats up top, which were considered kind of suites, but they were behind this rail. The only way you could get to those is take the elevator. They had sold all those. Where there was room on one of those sides or both, they'd put a row of folding chairs behind those seats up there. Mm-hmm. Had sold those. Had probably maybe even sold some standing room only stuff. And eventually we're just like, there's nothing else we could sell. We're, we got we to gotta call this thing. Well, we've known about this game for a while. I do know there's still plenty of tickets for Friday, but I would expect that we do have a very good crowd yeah. once again for A-State at Arkansas. Let me just see just how big it is. I mean, is it, look, 2005 is not happening, all right? Because that was a perfect storm. Nobody knew it was happening that time. It's not happening twice. But there's going to be a nice crowd. I, th- I suspect there will be – considerably more Arkansas fans there Friday than there were in 2005. Even though I thought there'd be a big chunk in 05 and there just wasn't. I think there will be this time. You look at where their program is. You look at Alana Eaton coming in here, but they've got this young core of in-state studs on their team. You know, Mike Neighbor is an in-state guy. Todd Schaefer is associate head coach, married to a Pocahontas girl. They're going to have some folks in there Friday night, so hopefully the A-state people you know, answer that, and we got another great crowd. 7 o'clock, Friday night, First National Bank Arena. The A-State women hosting Arkansas. We'll talk uh, more hoops and be back to wrap things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. If your debit card is lost or stolen or you're opening a new account, you can immediately get a new card just by visiting your nearby Simmons branch. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. LBA State volleyball team wrapped up their regular season this past week. That was part of that triple header at First National Bank Arena last Tuesday. And a good finish for the volleyball team. They were down two sets. And in (laughs) fact, you know, it was tied at 23 in the third set. They were close to being swept against Little Rock. But they win the third set and then win the last two. So they come back to win in five on their senior night. So a good way to go into the Sunbelt Conference Tournament begins this Thursday, a first-round game against Georgia State. That's a little bit happy. I, I know at the time we're all worried about scheduling and, and things being delayed. But it was cool, I'm sure, for those volleyball kids to get to play 
in front of a bunch of fans that probably haven't seen them play otherwise in that fifth set, the folks who had come in for the basketball games. So uh, that was cool. It was a neat little atmosphere by the end of that match. And, yeah, hopefully they can keep right on rolling to a matchup with uh, Georgia State and the Sun Belt Tournament. A busy week with basketball. We talked earlier about the women's game coming up Friday night at 7 o'clock against Arkansas. Again, hope to have a great crowd out there for that one. I'll actually be up in Cape Girardeau on Friday night as Mike Blotto's team heads up to take on Southeast Missouri, and that one will tip off at 6.30, our coverage at 6 uh, on the network. But this is really the first... I guess, real gauge of where the men's team is at. A couple of games in which they should win at home. And then, you know, they played a top 10 team last weekend at Illinois. So finally you have an opponent that is around your level. You're going on the road to play them. So I'll be interested to see how they do against SEMO. Yeah, you're finally playing a team like a Sunbelt team. Something comparable to what you'd go face on the road, atmosphere like what you'd see on the road, athletes like what you'd see on the road. So it'll be fun to see this bunch in that setting and see how it shakes out. And then on Saturday, the A-State football team back on the road. Final road game of the season as they take on a good Georgia State team. Kickoff at 1 o'clock. Our coverage begins at 11 on the radio side. That game also on ESPN3. But... Look, this is a Georgia State team that you can make a case. They've played the toughest schedule in the league this year, and they're playing some good football. They made a quarterback change early in the season. You know, we really like Quad Brown last year when we saw him, and he did a lot of good things as a freshman last year, but he did not get off to a good start. They made a quarterback change. You know, the Panthers are playing – Really well. 42-40 winners over Coastal Carolina last Saturday. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that basically went and won at Auburn, although the the record won't indicate that. I know they feel like they did. Now they've went and beat Coastal at Coastal. And I I understand somebody could say, well, Grayson McCall didn't play. I get that, but guess what? I mean, he's really, really good, and he's not the only really good player they got. I mean, they still scored 40 without him. So, you know, Georgia State is a – is a good team and i hope this defense travels because last thing i want to do is hear that stupid horn all day we got worn out by that thing a couple of years ago <laughs> and boy the last few times we played and we actually talked with sean elliott their head coach at media day about this but we've had some shootouts with georgia state beat them 59 52 in jonesboro last year you remember that reverse pass with Rashad Paul hooking up with Lincoln Perry late in the game, which ended up being the game winner, but just some crazy games between these two teams, and who knows? Could see another one coming up on Saturday. I hope so. I don't know if I won another shootout, but I just hope it's a, you know, a good competitive game. Interesting to see, because again, Georgia State's good. No, I mean, don't, don't get it twisted. It'll be that, they're a good team. It'll be a tough spot to go in Saturday. We'll certainly talk about that on next week's episode of the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. For Brad, I'm Matt. Hang on, whoa, 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 hang on. You forgot the very last word on the sheet. What do you need to get off your chest? I was going to tell you, I I don't really have one. (laughs) I had written two things down, two reasons why there wasn't going to be a rant today. We've already covered one of them. Okay. There wasn't going to be a rant today because... 
we all were reminded Saturday to see, as Houston Nut used to say, when it is precious. It is. It is. And it was and and looking and, and I understand that you could see some of that CA state and go, what are these guys doing? I mean, they're two and eight, but uh, it was fun to see how much those kids enjoyed getting that win Saturday. So that's another reason. That's one reason there's no rant. And the other, I just want to mention is that as we're sitting here recording this, this is on Monday, so it's November fifteenth. This is my thirty-year broadcast anniversary today. Really? Okay. November 15th, 1991, I put on a headset, the first broadcast as a 14-year-old freshman at Green County Tech of a USWA championship wrestling card at Reynolds Fieldhouse at Green County Tech. They let us film it. We never broadcasted or anything, but they let us sit up and film it and pulled out the VHS tape last night and watched through it a little bit. <laughs> 30 years ago today. Man, I want to see that. I know you don't. <laughs> I can't imagine going back and listening to a broadcast from back then. But, man, what a cool way to kind of make your debut and, and get into broadcasting. And after that, you're hooked, right? Sort of, but not really. The real kind of the, the hook really got set about two years later. story we told you know, earlier in the podcast about something that happened in 11th mm-hmm. grade. But that was the first time. That was really, I was probably doing it more because it was wrestling than it was broadcasting. As a matter of fact, I heard myself make a comment, and I put this on some of my social media, put a video of it. That One time in one of the matches, I say, I, I just will say, this is my first time to be involved in the broadcast end. I think I like it. You did. Yeah. And you came back again and again, and we're still coming back that's 30 right. years later. So that's why there's no rant today. Well, good. Kinder, gentler podcast. And look, that happens when we come off a win. So (laughs) hopefully we've got more wins to talk about next week on the Second to Done podcast presented by Simmons Bank.